Steel products, they are simply the best for any project you may have outdoors. S-T-I-H-L. Love the battery-powered products. I have a garage full of them, whether it's blowers or chainsaws, small chainsaws, mid-sized chainsaws, or large industrial chainsaws. I've told you this through the years. I'll be out running, and I'll see workers uh, on the street uh, pruning trees, uh, doing work, and they all have steel products because the pros use them. Therefore, you know that us amateurs should use them as well. S-T-I-H-L. Go to steeldealers.com to find the one nearest you, and there's more than 10,000 around the country, so I guarantee you there's a steel dealer around the corner from you. Or if you want to see all their products, you can see the link there, or it's steel, S-T-I-H-L-U-S-A.com, and you will be, as I like to say as well, blown away by how many different products they have that are going to make your yard your world that much better. Go check them out at Steel, S-T-I-H-L. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, the MLB draft is in the books and Rocky Senior Director of Scouting, Mark Gustafson, is here to break it down for you. From pick one all the way down to pick 20, I mean, we're pumped. Yeah, I mean, we were high-fiving throughout. And did we get any pitchers? Between 2022 with 2023, we added 34 pitchers. Okay. Plus, Rockies all-star catcher Elias Diaz was shining bright in the Emerald City Tuesday. Back it goes! Elias Diaz puts the National League in front! Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome in, everybody, to show number 210 on our little podcast. Thanks uh, for all of you for uh, listening through the years and for telling your friends and that sort of thing. It is our all-star version 2023 of the Drew Goodman podcast and um, enjoying some time off. I finally got smart. I was able, I, I take about 16 games off and I went and saw after Houston I took the San Francisco series off went and saw my oldest son uh, Jacob down in Austin and we had a great time down there and then uh, came up to uh, the mountains to uh, get a little R&R which uh, has been good get uh, get the juices flowing again for the second half we'll talk about the all-star game uh, in a moment but I wanted to break down the first half obviously the Rockies uh not unexpectedly for most, had a very poor uh, first half. And yes, they dealt with some injuries. Uh, I know they're not going to use it as an excuse, nor will I. You cannot uh, uh, ever for me, unless it's just catastrophic injuries to you know every big name that you have in a given organization. Injuries are a part of sport. They are a part of sport. Guys are always going to get hurt. Do you have certain years where you stay healthier than others collectively? Certainly. Um, and the Rockies, quite frankly, with their rotation until this year, had been pretty fortunate. I know Buddy Black's pointed that out on, on a couple of occasions earlier in the year. This year, uh, they have not, but um, they were going to be short in terms of depth. They were going to be short in terms of really frontline guys. Uh, so it's played out that way. And I'll start with the positives in the first half, and they're pretty obvious. We've talked about them quite a bit over the last several weeks. 
uh, the emergence of Ezekiel Tovar. They were going to give him the shortstop position, not just give it to him, but he had, he'd earned the opportunity, and they wanted to see what it looked like if they ran with him. Now, in April, actually, before we talk about April, I'm going to go back to last year. When he came up in September, uh, not fully healthy, he had missed a better part of of two months with kind of a hip flexor injury. And all we had heard about him is this guy, when he was 18, could have played in the big leagues from a defensive standpoint. Well, he didn't look great defensively. I didn't think he moved very well. Uh, I thought there were some routine plays that he did not handle. And it it made you raise an eyebrow. Now, again, we're told he's not healthy. So you fast forward six months and he comes out of a of really solid spring training, and in April fields the ball fields the ball well, uh, but struggled with the bat. I mean, anything moving away from him, sliders that started on the outside portion, maybe even off the plate, he swung at, and he hit below two hundred and a high strikeout rate. But this kid, you never saw a lot of uh, emotion, uh, whether it be positive or negative, on the occasion that things went well at the plate. Uh, he just was really steady, and we keep pointing that out on television. He is so mature beyond his years. And then he just made some small adjustments. He, he you know, he, there's a lot of guys that, that struggle with the slider away. But he did a better job of spitting on some pitches away and putting balls in play with authority earlier in counts and not getting himself to upside-down counts. He's super aggressive. That's his mindset. And then in May, the number's better. June, the number's that much uh, uh, more um, raised, if you will. And it's been fun to watch. And now the power. And I've said this a lot. When you watch his batting practice, and and, uh, batting practice isn't everything. There's a lot of guys at that level. Everybody at 5 o'clock is going to look great because they're the best players in the world. Now can you make it happen at 7 o'clock? Well, at 5 o'clock, you see him going deep to parts of the ballpark that I don't, I don't care who you are. you got to be strong. you got to have bat speed. You have to have the ability to, to drive a baseball, um, even in batting practice, 420, 430 feet to center field, to, to right center field. And it's played out that way uh, in the last couple of months in games where now you can envision this kid maybe being better than a you know 10 to 15 homer guy i mean he's almost there right now to you know 15 20 20 plus homer guy as he matures i think that's in there and defensively he has been just flawless and he's gotten the balls that very few guys can get to and he's turned them into outs uh, so when you look at the number one bright spot in the first half for the Rockies, for me, it's Ezekiel Tovar because uh, I believe now they have their shortstop, key position we all know in baseball. They have their shortstop, you would hope, for uh, you know a number of years. And so that, that's been the number one positive. That's been the number one thing for me. Moving on, I would say the next one would be Nolan Jones, because I'm I'm looking at young players that are going to be part of the answer, part of the solution to get the Rockies back in contention. And Nolan Jones, kind of an under-the-radar move in the offseason, 
He had been really well thought of throughout baseball, but uh, as a member of the Cleveland Guardians organization, got 86 at-bats last year. Numbers weren't awful. They weren't off the charts, but, you know, he was okay. And the Rockies traded Juan Brito, a young prospect, second baseman, to Cleveland. They get Nolan Jones back. Nolan Jones did not have a good spring training at all. He'd be the first to raise his hand and tell you that. Uh, He says, notoriously, I do get off the slow starts. He was sent to AAA, where he was tearing it up. He came up for about two or three days, I think because of an injury. And Buddy didn't get him in the lineup in in those two or three days. He was just there kind of as a stopgap. Then he went back down, and to his credit, didn't sulk, didn't say, man, I didn't even get a chance to to swing the bat or, or to get one start. And he just kept putting up huge numbers in Albuquerque which I know spawns big numbers. But but even in a league and in a city at the AAA level that produces large numbers, his numbers really got your attention. Home runs, slug, uh, you know, some stolen bases, high average. And he came up a second time, and he's run with the opportunity. He has shown good plate discipline. He's shown power. He's shown a speed element that really wasn't on the on the scouting report. He's not a flyer, but he's a smart baseball player and is able to steal some bases. And he has a howitzer in the outfield. He's demonstrated that he can play first base. He originally was a third baseman. I think he even has a start or two at third base in the first half. So number two on my list of positives in the first half for the Rockies is Nolan Jones, right behind Ezekiel Tovar, because you can now envision this guy as a starter on a team that can transition down the road to being a contender, not just a starter on a second division team, because I I always make that delineation. Okay, is this guy a big league starter, but but on a a team that's going to finish fourth or fifth in their division? Or is this guy a starter and can be an impactful player on a team that wins more than they lose? I think you have to make that distinction when you look at young players. And I think in the case of Tovar and in the case of Jones, very much so. They can be integral parts of a winning big league team. The next guy I'm going to mention, because it just seems natural, because he's had a nice impact since he came up, is Brenton Doyle. Brenton Doyle can really defend center field, which, as you know, if you follow the Rockies, if you're listening to this podcast, it's essential. The Rockies have to have probably a couple of guys who are center fielders playing in, in the expanse that is Coors Field on a nightly basis. Brenton Doyle can flat out do it. He can flat out throw too. When he and Nolan Jones are both out in the outfield, that's two of the best arms in baseball. And they're accurate as well. Brenton Doyle's been really good defensively. Not afraid on the base pass. He's utilized his plus-plus speed to steal a lot of bases, quickly became the team leader on a team that does not have much team speed. Um, so those are the positives with Brenton Doyle. Now, offensively, seen a little bit of pop, seen some opposite field pop, seen a lot of swing and miss, which is something that's followed him from the minor league level. Can he turn it around to – it's not really turn it around. It, it's grow at, uh, as a big leaguer because he's, he's just getting his feet wet as a big leaguer, but can he cut down on the strikeouts, get the ball in play more where the speed becomes more of a factor in getting on base? And also can he, you know, drive the ball out of the ballpark 
um, with some regularity. I, I think it's in there. I think the jury's still out as to what kind of offensive player he's going to be. And it's hard to project after 100, 150 at-bats, whatever it is, uh, for him. Um, but I think he can be a winning player also, just given his defense, his speed, and how he competes offensively. There's a there's a real toughness to him. There's a real toughness to Nolan Jones. There's clearly a toughness in a quiet way to Ezekiel Tovar. So those guys stand out um, above all others because I'm thinking of the future. Um, I'm not just thinking about, okay, how many games are they going to win, you know, post-All-Star break, that sort of thing. It takes me to to the next guy who's been the MVP of the Rockies in the first half, and that was their lone All-Star, Elias Diaz. And for Elias, um, it's fun to watch a guy – that you get to know a little bit and and you like a lot because they're such a good person, such a good teammate, and they've been doing it for a while. He's 32. And to have the kind of success he had in the first half, um, we saw it for four months a couple of years ago. It earned him a nice contract. I thought he pressed last year, um, maybe trying to live up to that contract because he's such a prideful guy. Uh, but to see him put, you know, Really, three good months together and earn an all-star bid. And we'll get to the the, the all-star heroics here in a moment. But um, that that was fun to see. That was fun to see. And and the other guy that came on after a slow start was Ryan McMahon. And he's another guy you root for because he cares a lot. He's so professional. And um, Ryan has played a gold glove caliber defense at third. And I think... If this continues on, he may finally unseat Nolan. Nolan's won, what, 10 straight gold gloves? Nolan's defensive metrics are down this year from the standard he set. And, you know, he's on a Hall of Fame trajectory. But I think, uh, you know, if the second half stays the same, Ryan McMahon may earn himself a gold glove and it would be deserving. Um, the, the bat's been better. Strikeout's down higher on base percentage. He's hit some home runs. The question with Ryan going forward is, is is this who he kind of is? He's a 22, 24, 25 home run guy. Um, maybe an uptick in, in on base percentage, gold glove caliber defense, and a guy that you know is going to post up every day and play 150 plus. Or is there another level? Can he get to that 30 plus homer plateau? That's what you hope for. Um, and we'll see. We'll see. Can't definitively answer that. I'm not going to break down everything else about the first half. Uh, you know, Kyle Freeland competes the from a rotation standpoint. He's now, at this point, probably better suited if the Rockies are really, really good and, and they can develop some pitchers here in the not-too-distant future, he's probably better suited. You're really good if he's pitching toward the back of a rotation, not at the front. And it's not a slide on Kyle. I can't tell you how much I respect his competitiveness, his guile, all that he's accomplished. Um, and it's not just the drop in velocity where he basically works at 88 miles an hour. Um, you know, he, he's a pitcher. And... He, he's got the, this grit to him that enables him, you know, to not only survive, but to, to thrive at times. But he's better suited on a really good team. 
to be toward the back of a rotation. And then you need some frontline guys that aren't here yet. And and you need Herman, hopefully, but it's a long way off. He's coming off Tommy John to come back and pitch more like, you know, the guy that we've seen at different times in his career. One thing I want to point out, I think it's naive, even when you have a good group, a good rotation group, it's naive to think that that group's going to stay together for six, seven, eight years, and, and they're going to pitch at whatever level um, is the height of their career for that period of time. It doesn't happen outside of the Verlanders, the Scherzers, the Kershaws of the world. Those guys are first ballot Hall of Famers. You may get a year, two years, maybe on the outside, three years where a group as a whole stays healthy and pitches at peak performance. But then there's going to be drop-off, there's going to be injury, there's going to be decline. That's what happens. So you got to keep adding on, keep developing guys, keep trying to you know, make trades for prospects in other organizations, especially if you're the Colorado Rockies where you know it's so difficult to acquire pitching any other way. Uh, so that's where they are in that regard. That's, that's a look at the things that went well um, in, the, in the first half. And in the second half, and you're going to hear a little bit about this toward the tail end of my conversation with Mark Gustafson, it's going to be about some of the guys that come up and get an opportunity that we haven't seen yet. Maybe a Yankeel Fernandez. Um, that that next generation to learn a little bit about the big leagues and start to truly build for the future like they've already done with Tovar and with Jones and, and with Doyle. So that's that situation. All right, to the All-Star game. I, I love the Major League All-Star game. I pontificated about this in the past. It To me, it's, it's the one All-Star game that is compelling to me. The NFL one is, is going away, I think, completely, which needed to be done many, many years ago. Uh, the NBA is, is it's a joke because they literally don't play any defense at all. Hockey, pretty similar. It's a shooting gallery uh, on the goalies. But baseball, you know, it's an it's still baseball in that it's a one, one-on-one encounter between an elite pitcher and, and an elite hitter. And so that doesn't change. And that's why I find it compelling still watching the Major League All-Star game. The first thing I'll point out that I really enjoyed, and it's not the first time guys have been uh, mic'd up, but I, I really got a kick out of Freddie Freeman, who if you're in baseball, everybody loves Freddie. He's just a, a genuinely good guy. And then the same can be said for Mookie Betts. And I've gotten to know him a little bit since he came from the Red Sox, and we see him a lot with the Dodgers. Mookie Betts is, is like, he's kind of like, Freeman and, you know, just an unassuming, down-to-earth superstar. I mean, just good guys, both of those guys. And they had them mic'd up together. And then, they're, you know, Mookie was giving Freddie a hard time about, you know, hey, when I do go play second, Freddie, who has this reputation for talking to everyone, I'm trying to talk to Freddie during the game, and Freddie's just kind of giving me nods. And then Freddie would respond with, well, you know, we're a lot closer to the action here, and I, I'm trying to stay focused. It was good stuff. It really was. It was it was fun having the players uh, – Mike, and in particular, those two guys um, early in the baseball game. But what a thrill at the end, especially if you're a Rockies fan, you're watching. They have one guy in, in the field. It's Elias Diaz. You hope he gets in at bat. Lo and behold, he gets in at bat, and he hits a two-run home run, and he leads the National League to their first victory in a decade. Not going. 2-2 to Diaz. is hit in the air to 
22 years old in his all-star debut. A go-ahead home run. I mean, it was awesome. He A lot of firsts. First Rocky to be an MVP. First Rocky catcher to be selected an all-star. And I just keep coming back to the same thing I've said to you all on television about Elias and what I said earlier in the podcast about Elias. He's just a fantastic guy that you really root for. His teammates adore him. He cares. He cares greatly. He's worked his ass off to be better defensively. He's worked his ass off to be better offensively. Um, he's never content. He certainly didn't sit back and go, okay, I finally got a nice little contract. Just a, a fun guy to see every day because he always has a bright smile on his face. And to see uh, what transpired in Seattle with the with the home run that provided the difference. And not without some drama in the ninth with Craig, Craig Kimbrell walking a couple of guys, but uh, ultimately getting Jose Ramirez to end the game. I, I wanted so desperately for Elias to win that MVP, which he did, and not see that game get tied or that sort of thing. I remember years ago, I talked recently to Brad Hopp about this. Brad had a chance to be potentially MVP of an all-star game, and he got robbed of a home run. Uh, would have been an opposite field home run. Uh, but that was good stuff for Elias. So awesome. Awesome way to finish the first half for him, and and hopefully uh, good things for him to come in the second half. Though I want to point something out. The Rockies need to trade people. Um, They need to keep getting younger talent, and their phone, I'm sure, is going to ring, hopefully, and they're going to be able to move some of the guys that that are obvious. They need to listen for Elias Diaz, and and as much as I love him, and I think Rockies fans who, who still watch regularly despite the record, He's a hard guy not to like, but he is he is 32, and he may be able to command the most in return currently than any other player. I would have said that about C.J. Crone a year ago when he was an all-star and still had a year and a half left on his deal. Well, Elias Diaz, he's coming off the best three months of his career. He's an all-star. He has a year and a half left on his deal. Um, teams are always looking for, especially in contention, catchers, catching depth, and he's a guy that can, you know, be a DH also. So, you know, if if the right, you know, prospects are offered, I wouldn't be shocked to see the Rockies move uh, Elias Diaz before the August 1st trade deadline. All right, the uh, Major League Draft just took place. The Rockies took, with the ninth pick in the first round, Chase Dolander, uh, a really well-thought-of power arm out of the University of Tennessee, and they had a bunch of other selections in the now 20-round Major League draft. And I thought uh, the perfect guess would be one of the guys that heads up the draft, Mark Gustafson, Senior Director of Scouting Operations for the Rockies, to kind of break things down for us. And uh, Gus has been with the organization a long, long time. He's from Eaton, Colorado, so he's uh, a local product as well. We'll get into some uh, Eaton Colorado baseball as well coming up. So here he is, Mark Gustafson, Senior Director of Scouting for the Rockies. Well, Gus, first and foremost, drafts are wild. People always ask me, hey, what do you think of the Broncos draft? What do you think of the Rockies draft? What do you think of, of the Nuggets draft? And and typically in, in athletics, you don't really know 
for three, four, five years down the road. Maybe it's a little different in the NFL with a first-round pick, but it's certainly the case in baseball. So here, a couple moments after the draft is complete, I'll ask you, what did you think? Well, I, I like what you just said, because a lot of times we won't know until they show up at the major league level. But in our business, uh, especially from the scout's eye, a lot of these guys have been tracked, uh, you know, at a very young age. So we have the history with all of them, and when we get to follow them through their career. Um, but to answer your question specifically, I think the draft, in terms of what we were able to do, it went excellent. We've got a nice blend of, of pitching depth we added to the system, and then we added some athletes. And from pick one to all the way down to, you know, pick 20, and then we added a few non-drafted free agents. Uh, we feel very, very excited about what we were what we were able to accomplish this week. Let's begin at the top, naturally, with uh, Chase Dollander. And I followed this, you know, pretty closely, naturally, given what I do. And this draft seemed to be, at least on paper, looked upon as a really good draft, one of the best in in some time. What was interesting, it seemed, and correct me if I'm wrong, that it was position heavy as opposed to pitcher heavy. Correct. You're absolutely correct. There were some elite pitchers at the top end of the draft. Then there was some depth in the middle part of the draft, and I'm talking about pitching specific, but the draft was heavily weighted toward the position player and the high school position player. And um, we had to really uh, search and dig and dig some more on, on some of the pitching depth that we were able to at least select at this point. And um, as I mentioned, put in some nice looking athletes in between. Well, with, with Chase Dollander, did it help that there were so many position players that were well thought of that a kid with his arm slides down to the ninth position? Yes, it was, it was something that we were hoping for. Uh, certainly didn't want to hope for a subpar year that Chase had in terms of his standards. I mean, arguably going into the draft, he was in a lot of different publications 1-1. Now, the year didn't uh, pan out the way he had hoped it would, but from a scouting perspective, we never lost sight of Chase Dollander in terms of the stuff, the athleticism, uh, the size, the toughness. So, I mean, we're pumped. I mean, we were high-fiving throughout uh, after we got Chase in, at pick nine, and, and it's because of all the work that we did. It was the body of work, Drew. It wasn't just the year. Yeah, and and, and given that, I know he finished strong uh, yes. for for Tennessee, were you guys from afar, or at least when you're there in person, being you know scouting? Were you able to pinpoint, you know, certain whether it be mechanical or certain things where you felt okay that got off the tracks a little bit, and that's why there was a dip in performances compared to his, uh, you know, his 2022 season? Yes, absolutely. We picked out some things in video. We were able to identify some things with the analytics department, and we were also able to you know, think of, okay, what could this, what could he be once we get him back to what he was maybe as after his sophomore year? And it's not that far off, Drew. It's really not. It's a few minor things, maybe with his alignment, number one, maybe number two, just his uh, arm slot. It's just a tick off, but it's, as I said, it's not far off. And w with Dollander, 
Is it fair to say oh, upside-wise he can pitch at the top of a rotation, or do you, do you not want to put those expectations on a young kid? Well, we don't, we don't want to put the expectations. That's, tr- that's true. But, yes, number one or number two at a, at a, in a rotation at the major league level, without a doubt. That's his potential. Did you feel as a as an organization, given uh, the dearth of pitching, and and every organization battles it, but but none more so than the Rockies? And right now, it's playing out at the big league level. There's there, there's not enough on top, and, and there's not enough depth. And that's just being frank. Where no matter what, you had to go heavy pitching near the top of the draft, regardless of maybe even if you like the position player better. You know what, Drew? Um, I'll just say it like this. Between 2022 with 2023, we added 34 pitchers. So I hope that, I hope that clarifies that. And yes, we have to add to it. Yes, Rolando and his crew have done a fabulous job with some bright young prospects that are position players. And so I'm not saying we drafted based on need because we drafted some really good ones, but between 22 and 23, we've added 34 pitchers. Wow. That's quite a bit. I want before we talk more about specific guys, Gus. Uh, I've asked you this in the past, and I, and I want to give the audience kind of a feel, especially now that you're at twenty rounds as an industry, as opposed to forty. When you look back, like we started this conversation five years from now, six years from now, when you say, "Okay, how, how do we assess the twenty twenty three draft?" How do you do it? Do you do it by okay, we got four guys to the big leagues and, and two are regulars. I mean, how, how do you assess that that type of thing when you look back after several years? Great question. And, and we like to think, meaning from a scouting perspective, if we can get four or five to make a debut each and every year, but you have to keep adding to that. So at the end of the day, the best answer that I have is going back to the 07 uh, World Series run where we had 19 out of the 25 men on the roster were homegrown. Now, we have to do this in waves. We have to keep building, and we have to keep backing everybody up. Then I'll go to 17 and 18 when we're in the playoffs. A lot of those kids were homegrown. This is what's happening right now in the minor league system. We've got some studs that are growing up together. We have some kids that are winning, you know, um, uh, MVP-type awards, meaning monthly awards, and we've got some kids that are, you know, knocking at the door at AA, Yankee Fernandez, Gabriel Hughes. We just moved Jordan Beck. To double A. So our job as, as scouts and amateur scouts is we have to keep adding to that, and that's never ending. And when you could get them to come and grow together, compete together, win together, that's when you've got something at the major league level. And that's when we look back and say, yes, we did this right. Sean Sullivan, guys, you take uh, with the 46th overall pick. He's a lefty from a really deep Wake Forest team. Seemed like every kid in there, not only their rotation, but coming out of the pen was a professional prospect. Sean Sullivan's kind of interesting. Lower arm slot, heavy fastball, heavy spin rate, but not not overwhelming velocity. Break him down and what you liked and, and what you see going forward. You bet. I'd love to. Um, scouting him when we're behind the plate, sometimes you just put the radar gun down and you just watch and you think of it from a hitter's perspective. They cannot pick him up. They have a very difficult time picking him up. And the fastball can climb to 94, but he pitches at a different angle. Um, the analytics, I'd have to tell you, our group had him number one on their pitching depth in terms of the analytics and the numbers. 
He punched out 14 per nine. He's a low walk guy. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't give up the free pass. He's able to compete in the strike zone with a couple different pitches, but the, the, the arm slot, the angle, the spin, and the induced, induced vertical break is really remarkable. And when you put that all together and you see the body of work and what he's able to do, he was on a very talented team. He'd be the Friday night guy for most, for, for most Division I um, uh, collegiate programs, but he happened to be the Sunday guy and maybe a swing guy. So, I mean, this was a fun, a very fun kid to watch throughout the course of the spring. This question you get and you've had for years and years since since you got into this business, can a kid like that stay as a starter as opposed to, well, it's, it's, it's a little funky and he'd be good, you know, for an inning late, that sort of thing? We're going to start him without a doubt. We're going to break him in starting on uh, Sunday when we arrive back to Scottsdale for minicamp, and he'll he'll get that starting that starting profile look, meaning uh, the the start, the bullpen, those types of things. But and then the other thing I would like to say is that he's got the toughness all out, maybe a little bit of a Kyle Freeland's toughness and competitiveness. So we're going to give him every opportunity to start. Now at the end of the day, yeah, maybe, but we don't even think about that right now. Right, right. Uh, Without going through every single um, pick, and you took a lot of pitchers, and you took college pitchers, is that because of a need that is present and you need to get guys here in the shorter term? Or is that, you know, where you feel like, man, some of the guys we've taken in the past that were high school arms, and I don't want to point fingers, it's such a difficult business, but didn't make it or or, or have not panned out, and and it makes you a little squeamish? Yeah, you know, the studies show that it's not as easy, and the the statistics, it's not just with us. It's in all of baseball. There's some risk with the high school pitcher. Um, so yeah, it, it is fair to say that we went after some, some kids that had proven it at, at higher levels in front of packed ballparks, in front of, you know, postseason type opportunities. But, you know, we looked for size stuff and, and toughness. And that's kind of the common denominator, um, when we talk about Dollander, Sullivan, Mahoney, Coupe. And then we got, in my mind, the premier closer in Cade Denton out of Oral Roberts University. So we got a nice mixture. It wasn't just cookie cutter. It was look. Let's look for some lefties. Let's look for a different look. Let's look for uh, a different opportunity in each category. And and I feel like on paper we did that. Uh, Gus, I want I want to go to Denton really quickly because you and I both followed Oral Roberts closely. You know, Drew Stahl's like a family member and and played with Zach. Played for you guys on the Rocky Scout team. And Drew was a integral part of that Oral Roberts team that made such a great run uh, to Omaha. Why did Why did Denton fall? Because I mean that's an electric arm. Well, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, how do I say this appropriately? We were able to get Denton in the sixth round because we did some things by saving some money in certain categories and being able to to use those uh, resources uh, for Kate Denton. So it was a little bit of uh, bob and weave and and, and nice maneuverability by us in the draft room to get him at that spot um, with, with, you know, some of the others up ahead of him. So um, we were on him. Obviously, like you just said, throughout the, the season into late in the postseason. And, you know, it, it's a nice uh, selection at pick six that we were able to use some resources to get him at that spot. Isaiah Coupe, you took in the fourth round. He's a Big Ten kid out of Ohio State. 
break him down a little bit uh, for me. You bet. Left-hander that can spin the breaking ball. That's it. Number one, he can really spin it. Now, his fastball is going to range from 88 to 92, but it plays up with the breaking ball and the changeup. Uh, loose, uh, repeatable arm action with whip and athletic. Um, but the left-hander with a, a, a breaking ball like he has was very intriguing to us. And it looks like he he's a two uh he's a he's a curveball and slider guy. He's utilized both at the collegiate level. Is that accurate? That's very accurate. He can add some and take some off and uh different spin shapes, different spin rates, but that natural um knack to really spin it in the strike zone is is what attracted us to Isaiah. Is your preference again with him kind of a similar question uh to keep him at least initially uh, as a starter and see where it goes? Yes. Keep him as a starter. Um, let's, let's develop him in that role. And then the, the roster might di- dictate a move to the pin, but for now he will, he'll, he'll be a starter. One name naturally to Rockies fans is going to jump out there because he's the son of, and we see that a lot uh, in baseball. The, this sport spawns, uh, you know, families that that you know generations come on, and and then there's the next one and the next one. Well, Eric Karras, who we just saw broadcaster now and had a terrific career uh, with the Dodgers. His son, you guys select out of UCLA. Break him down a little bit, and and did he go uh, a little bit? Um, you know, were you able to steal him, so to speak, Kyle, in the fifth round? You bet. Kyle Karos, um, he's more to come. The, the frame is, is very attractive on a corner. His agility, his ability to play third base with a plus arm, smooth, athletic. Uh, but there's some more upside, Drew. Uh, he's going to continue to grow. He, um, he, he had an ankle injury, and he missed a little bit, I want to say 24 games, uh, with a sprained ankle. And so I think he fell off the radar in, in certain categories and that's just the scouting industry. But we never wavered. We felt like Kyle, uh, has a chance to be a monster. I think mean, he could be a 40 homer guy. There's potential in that, but we, we want him to be a real good hitter first and be able to hit the ball hard. And then as he grows into the, the frame that he has, he's got room to add and fill. And when he gets to that point, um, you know, hate to compare him to his dad, but maybe a little bit like his dad in terms of uh, that upside. Yeah. Was there was there anybody else you took potentially over slot later on in the draft? And the one I always point out, Gus, that's the most obvious for Rockies fans is you go way back when when you guys took Dexter Fowler in the 14th round. I think you utilized uh, the money that was saved in Larry Walker's contract when he was traded to St. Louis. It was just shy of a million dollars. And and of course, Dexter was a probably a first round talent, had college options, Miami and Harvard to play not only baseball, but basketball. That's the one I always think of. But was there a guy in this draft that you felt like because of where, you know, the money that you'd saved elsewhere, you had a chance to get somebody over slot? Sure. Now that, that's different back then when we selected Dexter to what the rules are now. Every every pick and every slot has a value assigned to that. So you can't maneuver like we used to be able to maneuver. But I I just point out Kay Denton. I mean, he's the one guy that we saved some money and we overpaid and able to get him at that sixth pick, 172nd pick overall. Uh, but he was the one guy that uh, we were able to do that with. The, the guys underneath, it was more pretty status quo in terms of what the, the pick was to the slot value. Are you in – 
I, I know right now you, you're excited about all the kids you just selected, but is there is there a guy in the you know in the third day, for instance, so it rounds eleven through twenty that you're kind of intrigued by that you you want to give people maybe a heads up that the, this kid could be interesting. Sure, a left-hander named Bryson Hammer out of Dallas Baptist University. Um, you know, we we like the left-handers. We we like the left-handers with power stuff. He's got a, a, a fastball to the mid 90s, and he can manipulate a hard slider. He's he's an intriguing guy. We've got in the 12th round, but you know, like any of them, whether you're the first pick in Dollander or the 20th uh, pick in, in Troy Butler, you know, it, it's going to be fun to see how they progress. And we just think, you know, the sky's the limit for a lot of them, and we're going to give them every opportunity to succeed with all hands on deck. All right, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about a hometown kid. I don't know what y'all grow up there in Eaton, Colorado. I have no idea. I've kidded you about this through the years, but but Walker Martin, um, it, at least from a high school standpoint, maybe better than 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 all of them at, at that level. He goes to the Giants. When did you first learn about Walker Martin? Uh, his sophomore year up at Eaton. Um, I grew up in that town, as you know, as did some others in our front office, but. My mom still lives up there, so I've watched him play football. I've watched him play basketball throughout the years, and what a stud. I mean, this kid has a sweet swing. He's got a nice athletic body, quarterback of the football team, you know, basketball stud as well. Um, just that nice blend of athleticism with I – do, I do believe that the, the strength is going to come. And, um, you know, we had our eyes set on him, and sometimes you can't get what you'd like to have. But at the end of the day, we wish him nothing but the best because it's a quality family. It's an unbelievable makeup in terms of the kid himself, and we're just rooting him on and cheering from him for, from uh, a distance. He's a, he's a nice kid with a bright upside. How many Colorado kids uh, either got drafted or were on professional draft boards like yours, and how much has it changed over the last 20 years um, in turn, you know, I'm trying to, to I, uh, you know me, Gus, I always speak to the uh, the amateur side and how much I feel like the talent's increased in the state of Colorado going back to the inception of the Rockies in 93. But but uh, at a professional level, what have you learned? Well, Colorado, you have it's sneaky. You've got to pay attention in the state of Colorado. We've got some bright stars in this game. And unfortunately, with the weather, um, the high school season, you know, 19, 20 games during a high school season, they don't have the opportunity to play year round, like maybe in the Southern California, Texas, Florida. Um, but you got to pay attention in the state because I'll point out one kid at the University of Virginia, Ethan O'Donnell. Um, you know, he got drafted really well this year and there's others. We could go through the entire draft board and pick out some guys that have had and made themselves opportunities, but the, the, these kids, um, you know, you can't you can't lose sight of uh, who they are and what they might become because there there's some really good ones and it continues to take shape in that form. Yeah, it's wild. It's it, it's fun to see. It, it really is, and see how kids have uh, impacted the game moving around the country. And it used to be thought of well, you can take a picture out of Colorado, but now some position players from the state are making noise, like an Ethan O'Donnell, who I know started his career at Northwestern. It's fun to see, man. Yeah, it's great and. I think the world of these guys, you'd like to try to draft every single Colorado kid. Sometimes it's not possible, but I know one thing that uh, we're cheering them on because they deserve it. Yeah. Before I let you go, anybody, you know, you, you touch a lot of different areas of the organization. Um, anybody in, in the uh, minor league system right now, do you feel like has a chance to 
get their feet wet at the big league level before the end of 2023? Yeah, we really have a, a handful of them that uh, I, I probably not like to pick out specifics, but I can name a few for you. And a lot will depend on, you know, what happens with the trade deadline with injuries and things like that. But, you know, Tovar doing what he's done this year has been remarkable. Um, we were able to add a Nolan Jones. Obviously, all of our fans know that. The people that watch know that. But under the seas, under the surface, Yankeel Fernandez, um, young 20-year-old who we just promoted to double-A, Jordan Beck, Ryan Ritter, Case Williams is getting back on track, a uh, left-hander named Evan, Evan Justice, who's at triple-A now. So, I mean, there's a there's six to ten potential call-ups, and we'll just have to see how the season progresses. And You know, we're not losing sight of our future. Our future is bright. It could be two years. It could be six years, but it's going to happen, and we're going to continue to work very hard at this. Good deal. Hey, Gus, I appreciate the time. I know the last, uh, not just several days, but weeks is, uh, you know, long, long days. So enjoy enjoy a couple of days of downtime, and uh, we'll talk soon, and congrats on the draft. Thanks, Drew. Always enjoy talking with you. It's really amazing how many athletes have come out of Eaton, Colorado. I was just going to say baseball players. A number of baseball players come out of small Eaton, Colorado. But Austin Eckler's from that area also, the terrific running back uh, who went to Western State and has made good uh, in the NFL. I don't know what's in the uh, what's in the old uh, bloodlines up there. What's in the uh, what's in the soil up in East Eaton, Colorado? Big thanks though to Mark Gustafson who continues to do a really good job on the scouting side uh, for the Rockies. And uh, we'll talk to him again down the road. Before we get on out of here, I want to mention the run of Christopher Eubanks at Wimbledon. I love tennis. Um, played it uh, a little bit growing up before kind of football and baseball uh, took over. Playing a lot again now. Um, and really gotten into watching, especially the majors. I, I got to go to the U.S. Open a few times growing up. And uh, it was such a great era with, you know, Jimmy Connors and Bjorn Borg and Ely Nastasi and some great characters, Johnny Mack, John McEnroe. And, you know, fast forward to where we are today, and the the sport is dominated by Djokovic, who's just phenomenal. He's going to go down, I think, as the greatest male tennis player of all time. We're now in the post-Serena days. And and so you, you, you look for that next group of players. Well, the American men have kind of struggled to have a, a, a lead guy, at least uh, of late. And I happen to be watching the finals of the Majorca Open. I think it's called the Majorca Open. I don't, I don't even know. It was in Majorca. It's kind of a lead up, a smaller event lead up on grass courts to Wimbledon. And this kid, this kid who kind of stands out because he's so tall, six foot seven, Chris Eubanks wins the tournament. And it was a great story because he's 27. So he's not, you know, one of these teenagers. He had played collegially at Georgia Tech, two time All American, two time ACC Player of the Year. And he's six foot seven and weighs about 180 pounds. And he has a big serve, and um, he's done some tennis commentary, evidently, on the Tennis Channel. And, but he's played mostly on the minor league circuits, the challenger circuits. And this guy wins at Majorca, and it's his first title. So pretty cool. And then, you know, I see he wins his first match at Wimbledon, so we start following him. And he wins again, he wins again. Um, he, he beats, uh, Sissy Pass from, from Greece, who's the number five seed, number five player in the world. And then he goes five sets ultimately, and he loses in the quarterfinals 
to uh, Medvedev, who's the number three player in the world. And it looked for a while like he may pull that upset. Anyhow, he kind of became the darling of Wimbledon, and uh, he's now on the radar. He, he's a guy that went from beyond 200 in the world to when Wimbledon is done, he's going to be in the top 30, I believe, in the world, which is pretty remarkable. And he seems like a great young man, and he seems like he's figured out some things, got you know big serve, big forehand, and it was fun to watch. And, and uh, so all of you that uh, watch a little bit of tennis or, or will going forward, especially in the U.S. Open, uh, he, he could be a factor on uh, the hard courts in Flushing Meadows. So really enjoyed that. And with that, we'll bid you farewell for another week. Season gets going with the Yankees coming to town. Uh, this week so that will always be interesting stay safe stay well we'll do it again in seven days 